Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to actually Konnichiwa, and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what samurai were all about. I didn't either. Um, yeah, I knew that they were excellent swordsmen. Sure. Uh, I vaguely had some sort of conception from Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there was like the whole Wu-Tang Clan phase that I went through for a while. Sure. But that's really about the the limits of my understanding of samurai until now. Because we've been meaning to do this for about 17, 19 months now. Not true. And uh, we've researched it just about every week. So if we fail on this one, yeah, it's... it's Seppuku for us. Exactly. Nice one. Thank you. Chuck, let's talk about the history of the samurai. Okay, Josh. I have a prepared joke. Should I say it? Yeah. No one is quite sure who the first samurai was, Josh, but we all know who the last one was. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. And he was short. Yeah, he was real short and is still. I didn't like that movie. Uh, In the 5th, 6th, and 7th centuries, Josh, there were a bunch of rivalries going in in Japan and a bunch of wars. Yeah. It was not a very good place to be. And a lot of these wars, most of them, in fact, were against the islands, the people who inhabited the islands of Japan, mm-hmm. which the imperial Japanese called Imishi. Which means barbarians. And, yeah, they were tough dudes, apparently. Yes, they were. And they were pretty good at riding horses, right? Yeah, were they the ones that were the riding archers? They were, and so were another group um, from the plains called the Kanto people. Uh-huh. And okay. the Kanto tribe... Um, actually were kind of in charge of fighting the Amishi. And uh, the Kanto and the Amishi were really good at riding a horse, shooting a bow and arrow at the same time. Not easy. No, it's not easy. Not at all. And actually, um, the earliest samurai did this. This is what they were modeled on. They were right. horseback archers. Right. Uh, and that whole school of discipline that you identify with, with samurai grew out of the kind of training it takes to be able to ride a horse and accurately shoot someone in the throat with an arrow. Right. Right? Yeah. And uh, if to practice shooting someone in the throat with an arrow while you're galloping past them, what did they used to use, Chuck? This is a bad and a good. They, <laughs> bad was they used dogs, running dogs. Yeah. Which was awful. The good news is, even way back then, the Shogun came along and said, no more dogs. Right. He said, he said it's chickens. a cruel thing. And Oh, did he really? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they didn't uh, use the dogs as target practice anymore. Right. Animal rights way back then. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, and so originally the samurai uh, was, like we said, based out of these horse horseback archers. But horses played a, a big role in the lives of the samurai. Um, and this this code that we'll get to more in depth is called Bushido um, was – grown out of another kind of code or a way of living called uh, Cuba, Cuba, <laughs> Cuba, no Michi. Man, do you know how many times I've said that in my head and I, now uh, that I say it out loud, it's <laughs> Cuba, no Michi, right? Yeah. Which means the way of the horse and the bow, which basically if you were dedicating yourself to being a horseback archer, um, that was your life. That's yeah. all you did. You lived, ate, and breathed it. Right. Right? Sure. So that kind of discipline 
formed the uh, the foundation of the samurai outlook, the samurai way of life, the samurai super toughness. Yeah. Yeah. Nice work. They were also an elite warrior, and that sprung, that status sprung from the fact that they were uh, powerful families that lived way out, uh, far, uh, far away from the capital, and they would like pass their land down uh, and their prestige from one generation to the next over hundreds of years. So there were these warrior houses, and they attained noble status. You combine that with the Amishi barbarian and the code, the, what was it? Uh, the Cuba no Michi. <laughs> right, the warrior code. Right. And basically that was the formation for the early samurai. Right. And um, the reason that you had all these warrior clans uh, was because, like you said, the, um, I guess the early millennia, the first half of the first millennia, um, was a really dangerous place. Lots of civil war, lots of land grabs, um, lots of just general butchery. Yeah, power shifts. Sure. Um, So these powerful clans grew out of this, and um, they started basically cultivating samurai. And one of the key aspects, key characteristics of samurai is pretty much the opposite of ninja. You remember when we did the ninja podcast? Yeah. They they kind of they turned on whoever hired them if oh, yeah. you know somebody came along and offered them more money. Not so with the samurai. No, they served their master, the the daimyo, is that how you pronounce it? I believe so. Okay, they served their daimyo with absolute loyalty even uh if that meant death. And didn't you already say it means one who serves? I didn't. Did you? Maybe I just imagined that. No. <laughs> Samurai means one who serves. Right. Um, and that was actually, funny enough, originally applied to bureaucrats. Yeah. Interesting. And then it was ultimately applied to Samurai, which little by little, there's all these different foundations that finally come together in, I think, the 12th century when these two clans, these two warrior clans that were vying for power, the Tyra, Tyra? T-A-I-R-A. We're going to go ahead and say the Tyra clan. And the uh, Minamoto clan um, basically came together and clashed. And in 1192, the Minamotos won. And this, uh, the, the, the head of the household, uh, Minamoto Yoritomo. How do you like my Japanese now, huh? It's really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He said, okay, you know what? We now run Japan. The emperor said, hey, way to go. I'm going to make you shogun, which is essentially the the head of the joint chiefs, the yeah. head of the military. Yeah, that kind of backfired on him. What did Minamoto do? He said, hey, thanks for making me shogun. I'm going to take over and strip you of all your power. Right, and if you say one word, I'll cut your head right off of your body. Right. And so what happened was the Minamoto clan set the samurai up for this elite status that they never had before. Yeah, there were servants before. Exactly. They served the, yeah. the daimyo. And there was still a, a an entire class of lower echelon samurai who served the daimyo. Right. But then the daimyo, these feudal lords, served the shogun. Right. So it went shogun, daimyo, samurai. Right. And then everybody else. Right. And – um. The uh, Minamoto clan, who set up the shogun, uh, the government that they ran was the Bakufu. Yeah, that was a dictatorship, basically. Right, and uh, that that was the last time the samurai really changed. From that point on, the modern samurai was born. Right. Right? Yes. So, Josh, we've talked about how they formed. Yes. Should we talk a little bit about the just the nuts and bolts of what makes a samurai? I think we should. If you're talking samurai, you cannot skip the armor, the uh, no. lamellar armor. 
yeah. it's called. And uh, you've probably seen it before. It's it's uh, it's made by binding metal scales together on a plate, and then they uh, they cover it with lacquer to waterproof it. And then all these little light plates are fashioned together by like um, leather strapping, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the armor that distinctively you've seen on a samurai. You know, it's weird. I just wrote an article about skin disorders, and um, there is a skin disorder called lam lamellar ichthyosis. Really? Which is basically like fish scale skin disorder. Oh, there you have it. Yeah. Full circle. Yes. Uh, there were two kinds early on. Uh, the Yori, which was uh, the mounted samurai. It was a lot heavier with the heavy helmets and shoulder pads and stuff. Right. Then the uh, Domaru, which was lighter, obviously, for the foot soldiers. And then later on, the uh, Gusoku in the 16th century. And that's what this dude is wearing right there. Yeah, that's a pretty cool picture that you got by Juan Cal. Call? Yeah. C-A-L-L-E. I didn't even see there was a credit there. Yeah. That is a a pretty cool illustration. And did you see that MoMA link I sent you? Or the picture from the MoMA exhibit? No. There's a MoMA exhibit of... I did, yes. Yes, of the guy who had, like, the black lacquered, like, deer antlers coming out of his helmet. Basically, if you saw this guy coming at you with the sword, you would probably die of fright. Right. At the very least, you would run. Sure. Um, and I think that's kind of what it was intended for. You know, they had iron masks that went with the iron helmets. Yes. Well, the helmet's called the Kabuto. Right. And um, like you said, they would often add, like, the devil face, and they would add, like, horsehair mustaches uh, and little beards made out of horsehair on the front of the mask as well. Yes, which makes them even more, even scarier. Yeah, and they're they're riveted together. You see the rivets. And does this, I got a picture of one here I'm showing, Josh. Does this look like anyone familiar? Uh, it looks kind of like the Per Wellander Powell Peralta skateboard from the 80s. No, no, no. G- dun, 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 Darth dun, Vader, uh. yes. Nice. This helmet is absolutely, well, actually, George Lucas absolutely modeled the Darth Vader look and helmet after the Samurai Kabuto. Yeah, isn't Jedi a Japanese word? Yeah, and then the sword, you know, the lightsaber was, um, oh, we might as well talk about the swords since we're there. The katana? Yeah, the katana. And the wakizashi. Which together uh, is called the daisho. Which yeah. Dai is large, sho is small, and the katana is a larger sh- sword, longer, uh-huh. uh, and thinner blade. Right. And the wazikashi? Yes. Uh, or wakizashi. Wakizashi. Thank you. <laughs> um, is shorter with a broader blade, but you you never saw a, a samurai without both. Right. And actually, you know where the katana is curved? Uh because of the process of making it? No? No, it was purposefully curved. Remember we talked about how horses played a pretty big role in samurai, yeah. an unsung role? Uh-huh. Um, it, the curved blade made for a deeper slashing wound, ah. which was inflicted by a horseback swordsman. Gotcha. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Did you hold one that day at the uh, meeting we took? People are like, you guys took a meeting where there was a samurai sword? Yeah. Remember at the, at the School of Humans deal? I didn't see that they had a samurai sword. You, yeah, this guy brought in a samurai sword at the end for one of their little uh, jobs coming up, and um, I held it. Where was I? In my hand. You might have been in the bathroom or smoking. It's before you quit smoking. Huh. Okay. And I held this thing in my hand, and I've never held. Have you ever held a real samurai sword? I was messing with a couple in Japan, but yeah. I mean, it's it's like way heavier than I thought. Mm-hmm. And when you hold it, and when you feel how sharp it is, you're like, this. I could literally cut you in half right now if I wanted to. All the ones that I was messing with were in, like, um, tourist shops. Oh, they were little plastic keychain ones? (laughs) They were wood. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's really intimidating. It's extremely heavy, and you feel like the power of the sword when you hold it. Right. And the smiths who made samurai swords are generally recognized as the greatest sword makers in the history of humanity. Absolutely. Uh, and one of the reasons why is not just because of these gorgeous, really heavy, perfect swords that they made. Killing Again machines. and again, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that you could actually cut someone's head right off with one slice. Easily. Um, but they actually came, they, they created a technology or a method, a technique for an age-old problem, which was you want a, a sword with a sharp blade that won't break. Right. You can use a hard metal to to keep a blade that will keep its edge, uh-huh. but it makes a, a very brittle sword, so it'll break easily, right? Yeah. So what did they do? Josh, they made a uh, sword with a core made out of soft metal that wouldn't break and then covered it with layers of hard metal that were uh, folded and hammered. They hammer it to squeeze out impurities, Mm -hmm. and they keep folding it repeatedly until Mm -hmm. there's all these layers laminated together. Right, like literally millions of layers. Well, actually, this this article has a slight mistake in it. Does it? That's lore. Um, I I looked this up. When they fold a blade, they hammer it out, and Uh there have been lore that they folded them hundreds of times and thousands of times to create millions of layers. Apparently, after anything over 20 folds... Adds no more layers. Really? That's what they said. So a 20-fold sword would have 1,048,576 layers. Wow. Which is, I mean. So it's kind of like hammering a chicken that's been shot by a horseback archer. You just can't make it any more dead. It's just, yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay. So you talked about Kill Bill, though? Yeah. You know, you can buy a Hattori Hanzo sword on the internet autographed by David Carradine for 600 bucks. I can't believe he's dead still. I know. Hung himself in a Bangkok hotel room. It was fitting somehow, though. Yeah. Definitely. And odd. Yeah. But yeah, you can buy one of those for 600 bucks, or if you don't want to spend that kind of dough, I think you can get like a functional katana for about 200 bucks online. Yeah. Or you can get a wood one from a tourist trap in Japan. Yeah. Well, that's what they use for training, you know. Yeah. Back in the day. Yes. Um, you know, the whole, uh, the cruel tutelage of Master Pei from Kill Bill. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, it's certainly Quentin Tarantino wasn't the first one to um, come up with the idea that samurai masters taught their students through, you know, rigid and brutal methods. Yes. Um, that, that's been a recurring theme through samurai stories all along. Uh, and the reason why is because it's true. It really happened. Um, there was one sword training master who used to walk around with a wooden katana mm-hmm. day or night completely unprovoked and without warning, would smack his students right. pretty hard. Those things are hard. They hurt. Oh, sure. Like just holding it and like tapping it in your hand, your hand starts to hurt. So actually getting hit by one of these swords hurts bad. And if you get hit by one um, randomly, right. it, you learn pretty quickly never to let your guard down, which is what he was trying to impart. Yeah, you could be like asleep. You and get a, a sword upside the head. You can be, you know, using the bathroom. And right. <laughs> anything. Eating gruel. Yeah, sure. Be hammering a, a chicken that's been shot by a horseback archer. Yeah, good point. Uh, Josh, they also used things called pole arms, which was a long pole with like a blade on the end of it. That was good for um, stabbing at, at dudes on horseback. It gives you a little more reach, obviously. Right. And they even had guns. This is what, something I didn't know. In the 16th century, they um, started trading with Europe. Japan did. And they bought these matchlock guns and kind of kept them as backup, though. The samurai was like, oh, I'll put a gun on my horse, but... 
I'm not going to use it. I'm still going to use a katana. Right. Unless and I really need it. It turns out the um, they got those guns from European missionaries. Oh, really? Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, who were kind of infiltrating Japan to try to start trade. Right. They were missionaries. Sure, sure. Everybody relax. We're just missionaries. But hey, Interesting. Have, have you seen a gun before? Check this out. <laughs> this is my boomstick. So, Chuck, um, one of the other characteristics of the uh, samurais is this idea of a very noble... A loyal life, and we said that the uh, uh, Cuba no Michi right. is the foundation for Bushido, right. which means way of the warrior. Bushi is warrior, mm-hmm. and Do is the way, right? right? Mm-hmm. So this is the way of the warrior, and essentially it's just this code, this guide that was kind of put out by one samurai or another, and uh, it was it formed the legend of the samurai, but it also informed the way they lived their lives, right? Yeah, and it's um, a lot of people hear this and they think it's like a, a formal set of rules that everyone followed, but it was actually different depending on who you were and where you had passed it down or gotten it from. And it wasn't even written down until the 17th century. So Right, there was a, there was a samurai um, named uh, Yamamoto Sunitomo, and he, was a, he turned into a Zen monk. And he had a follower who he just basically dictated the tenets of Bushido to, right. who, and he wrote them down. Darth Maul, <laughs> right? Right. He uh, and actually some of the some of the high points of Bushido. Well, it covers everything from um, like life and death situations. Right. If you're presented with the choice, choose death, and sure. you can't ever go wrong. You'll never be afraid because you're always prepared for death. I don't like the Bushido for that reason. Right. It's a little, eh, yeah. you know. Um, and then uh, to to really kind of trivial matters, like you should never sneeze in front of somebody because it makes you look foolish. Right. Uh, and then my favorite is the lesson of the downpour where, you know, like when you're being rained on, you're just so uncomfortable and you're running and you can't get yeah. wet. And, oh, my God, I can't get wet. Sure. So there's this uh, Bushido tenant that says if you remind yourself – that it is natural to get soaked in a rainstorm. Uh-huh. That's what's supposed to happen in a rainstorm. You'll never run for cover again. You just get soaked. What's the problem? Right. And this can be applied to all aspects of life. That's my favorite one. Yeah, I used to play in the rain, like up until, you know, six, what, you're trying ago. to set fires? <laughs> no. I mean, as an adult, sometimes it's fun. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Okay. I didn't know I was following some samurai. Were, code, yeah, but. you were like right there. <laughs> if you would be willing to die, Chuck, you would be a samurai. No. I come from the wham uh, choose life school. <laughs> of, of, that's my code. Nice. Tiny running shorts and choosing life. Nice. Uh, I guess we we have to talk about seppuku. Well, yeah. I mean, if you were dishonored, um, then, yeah, you had to kill yourself. Yes. Uh, otherwise known as, uh, I didn't know it was a, a vulgar phrase, but harakari. Yeah, it essentially means gut cut. Ah, no wonder. That is vulgar. Well, vulgar also means common. Oh, God, you're right. I feel like an idiot now. Don't. <laughs> I, I still am trying to figure out the wham reference. So. Yeah, when I think vulgar, I think of nasty words. I know what you mean, but yeah. th- that's, again, it's common. Right. You know what I mean? You're right. Yeah. Uh, so this is what you, you know, when you have seen the person uh, thrust the sword into their gut, it sort of doesn't really happen that way. What happens is you got to wear the right garment. It's very ritualized. White. Uh, oh, is it white? Mm-hmm. And they present you with a ritual knife wrapped in paper. Right, to, to give you a better grip. Sure. Normally you're going to do this in a garden or a Buddhist temple, never a Shinto temple, because a Shinto temple is not to be tainted with death. I would choose a garden. Yeah. That would be my pick. And uh, you insert the knife into wait, wait. your- First, no. first, you write a little death poem. Okay. And you take four sips of sake. Four being she, she 
meaning remember the Friday the 13th podcast right. in Japanese? Yeah, yeah. Four and death are the same kanji character. Right. So four is kind of like a pun on, hey, I'm about to kill myself. Gotcha. Okay, go ahead. Uh, and then you, uh, pl- is this, can I plunge the sword into myself at this Please point? Please go ahead, Chuck. <laughs> so you plunge the sword into your belly, and you go from left to right. It's very important. And you do a little final upward cut at the end. And if you're lucky, and usually you're lucky, there was another samurai behind you with their sword to cut your head off really quick so you're not, like, writhing in agonizing pain. Right. And that was, what's, what's that samurai called? Uh, the second in command is called the uh, Kashuku Nin. Right, and if you were Kashaku Nin, if you were forced to commit seppuku, yes. right, which was you know kind of routine, you choose to though, right? No, you could be forced to. Okay. Um, the Kashaku Nin would be assigned by the Bakufu, right? The the, the military dictatorship, right? To end it quickly. If you decided to do it yourself, then yeah, it was up to you to come up with a Kashaku Nin. And w- w- probably right. who you would want would be a friend. Yeah. Right? Uh, or, and I've never heard of this before, an Aijutsuka. This is somebody who had practiced drawing a sword, slashing it, and returning it to its... Oh, no. Drawing a sword, slashing, wiping it off, and returning it to its sheath in one fluid motion. Wow. And the uh, Aijutsuka suka uh-huh. could, um, basically, they could cut your head right off. That's what you want. With one slash. No. You don't? It's bad news for the um, the, the second samurai. Oh, but that's what you want as, as the... Well, you want to be killed immediately. Yeah, yeah. And that was the point. But um, you didn't cut somebody's head right off. You you would leave the throat, the skin attached to the throat, because uh-huh. it was bad form to cut somebody's head right off. Because uh, you don't want it rolling all around on the floor. Yeah. I wonder how those conversations went down, like... Hey man, uh, you want to do me a solid this afternoon? Right. I gotta kill myself, and uh, if you could be there to cut my head almost all the way off, right? I would really appreciate that. And um, Chuck, there. Uh, let's see, what else was there? Oh, if you were young, or if they didn't think you could be trusted with a uh, wazukashi, right? Wakuzashi. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The second sword. Yes. Sorry. If you if you if you couldn't be if like they were afraid you'd get up and kill everybody in the room rather than kill yourself, right? They give you a paper fan, right? And then the moment you touch the fan or touch the fan to your belly, whoosh, right? Uh, see, I thought I didn't know that was because of lack of trust. I thought it was just a like a tamer version. It's both. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing, can I? I really was like, I, I want to understand Sabuku. Sure. There's this type called Jumanji Giri. Jumanji. Yeah. And that was where you committed seppuku and you bled to death. There was no backup sword. Right. And the last guy to do this was uh, General Nogi, who did it in 1912. Remember the Meiji Emperor? That's after it was outlawed. Interesting. Somebody's committed it as recently as 1970, but they had the samurai, the backup samurai. Right. This guy did it himself. He cut himself in the ritual cut Mm -hmm. and then put his shirt on afterward and just sat and kneeled there and bled to death. After the death of the emperor. And the shirt just held all his, his guts in? I guess. Sort of like the horse diaper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was officially abolished, though, in 1873, although, like you said, Japanese like to stick to their tradition, so it has happened as recently as, like, the 2000s, right? Oh, is that right? I the last so. I saw was 1970, but yeah. Oh, really? Or maybe it started to make a resurgence in 1970, and it's still going on. Yeah, well, I seem to think there was a head of some corporation that did it recently, but really? I can't confirm that. That's pretty... 
It's a way to go. Yeah, it's hardcore. So, Chuck, we should probably talk about what happened to the samurai, right? Yeah, where they went. Well, let me talk about this one guy first. Okay. Um, the, 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 remember we were talking about warring clans and mm-hmm. power struggles and everything? Um, there was a huge civil war called the Sengoku, which was a civil war period in Japan, right? It was from like 1338 to 1603. Right. And in that year, Takagawa Aiyasu grabbed control. And this guy, he was a Minamoto descendant, so he uh-huh. took the shogun title. Sure. And he kept the peace, his family kept the peace for 250 years. Wow. He kept a complete stranglehold on the other samurai, the daimyo. Right. Um, he made it so that your family had to live in the capital. Oh, that's that guy. And you, right. And you lived like way out in the provinces. He basically and, held families hostage. Right. To keep, to keep the other, the, the other samurai, the other, right. um, yeah, the other daimyo, uh, under control. Uh-huh. Right. He also had a castle called Nijo Jo. And I've been in that castle and we've talked about it before. What? Yes. Remember in the Ninja podcast, we talked about a guy who had a castle oh, that the, had the like squeaky floors. Yeah, yeah. I've walked down those floors. Did they squeak? They they sound like nightingales. They're called nightingale floors. Did the Ninja like, come down and kill you? Doop, doop, doop. I tried walking on it. I got like two steps without making a sound. Really? So I could see a ninja possibly doing it, but it was random. Like wherever you stepped, like it was gonna make the sound. It was right. pretty amazing stuff. I don't think you and I would be candidates for ninja or no. samurai. No, maybe sumo. Possibly. That's where that's where I'm headed. Or a geisha. So, uh, like you were saying, we got to talk about where they went, what happened to the samurai. Yeah. Um, there was a, a what would you say, two and a half centuries of peaceful rule. Yeah, under the uh, Takugawa family. Right. So during that time, obviously, if you got peaceful rule, samurai are going to decline gradually just because there's no one to fight. And then the main two things, Josh, are urbanization and the end of their isolationism. Right. That's what really drove them out of business. Yeah, because Takagawa and his descendants didn't like the Europeans right. very much. And we're like, you guys need to beat it because we know how to cut someone's head off and just leave a flap of skin at the throat. Right. You know? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, they were isolationists. And then, all of a sudden, the Americans started going, you know, we'd like to trade with Japan. Yes. We get people who get shipwrecked around there somewhere, and we want to make sure they're taken care of, and we want to use this place as a supply port. Yeah. So we're going to sail over there. Yeah. So in, in 1853, they... Uh Commander Chandler Bing sailed into Edo Bay. <laughs> Was that not his name? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Commander Matthew Perry. Right. I had that wrong. Uh, he sailed over there to chat with the uh, Millard Fillmore sent him to chat with the Emperor, who was a figurehead, but that's who, you know, you can't go talk to the Shogun. you got to go talk to the Emperor. Right. So he went and said just what you said. We want to uh, open trade, and we want, if we get guys that are shipwrecked here, please take care of them. And... Open your ports so we can, like, dock here and resupply. Right. And Please. apparently when he showed up, he said, I'll be back in a couple of months. You guys talk it over, right? Talk amongst yourselves. But when he showed up, he showed up with, you know, full cannons out, like guns. Everybody was yeah. basically strapped to the teeth. He's like, think about it. See what you want, want right. to do. But that, I guess that kind of intimidation really struck a chord with the Japanese or some yeah. of the Japanese who are like, sure. Whoa, what what's been going on outside the borders of Japan while we haven't been paying attention? Right, right. Um, and so there was a split in the samurai class where some wanted to go ahead and open up Japan and, and modernize Japan. Right. And this is the the people in charge. Right. The lesser samurai didn't like that at all, so they actually went and staged a revolt 
And the lesser samurai actually won. Yeah, that was a surprise. It was, because they beat the shogunate, uh-huh. which was kind of a big deal. Yeah, um, very big deal. Although they had gotten kind of fat and lazy in the in the two and a half centuries of peace. Yeah, that's true. Um, so the lesser samurai, who hadn't gotten quite as fat and lazy and comfortable, uh, overthrew the shogunate and took the, the emperor and restored him to power, the Meiji Restoration. Yeah, and that was uh, it was actually a boy emperor. Emperor Meiji was, uh, I think, like a teenager at the time. Yeah. I'm not quite sure, but he, he, was, he was young. Yeah, he was boy king. Yes. And, and now he makes a really good uh, yogurt drink. Oh, really? You should try it. What's it called? Meiji. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the brand. They're like Nestle. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so they overthrew, they, it was called the Nestle Restoration. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the power of the daimyos was taken away. The government seized their land. Um, there was no way to pay the samurai, so they basically started paying them off with bonds, depending on what their rank was. Right, but it was like a, here's your settlement. Yeah. You know? And go and don't be samurai anymore. Right. They had basically turned into the modern, the equivalent of what in the modern era is somebody who falls in the in the grocery store and lays around <laughs> watching Jerry Springer waiting for their settlement to come through. Yes. Yeah, that, that was kind of what happened at the end of the samurai. Uh-huh. It's pretty sad. Yeah. And uh, in 1876, it finally culminated with the, the final blow, which was the emperor said, you cannot wear your swords anymore, and we're going to draft an army. So that was kind of like, no more no more use for you. Right. And so there were some rebellions here or there. Tom Cruise shows up, um, and the the rebellions in the outlying areas are crushed. Top of gun. And uh, that was the end of the samurai. Japan yeah. became modernized, but it wasn't the end of the samurai spirit. No, no. That and lives on. As Chuck said, there was a CEO that recently killed himself. Using Maybe. Seppuku, probably. <laughs> Um, but also, that it kind of informs Japan. There's that whole keep a stiff upper lip, don't complain uh, kind of tradition and culture. Right. And you can argue that the history of the samurai is the history of Japanese culture. Right. Right. Um, but also, in World War II, the Bushido was resurrected. Oh, yeah. And kind of perverted by the Japanese government and sold to the Japanese military, who would go crazy and kill everybody before they were killed. Right. The kamikaze pilots? Yeah, that was part of it. Sure. That there it? was the bonsai guys? Uh, yeah, the yeah. bonsai guys. And, um, yeah, just basically their their whole death before dishonor. Right. Because it's like a suicide bomber today. If you're facing somebody who would rather die than lose, that's the most dangerous foe you have. Right. Yeah. As opposed to the American way, which is... Do anything you can to save your butt. <laughs> right. Or Even go fall in the grocery store. Right. And see what somebody. happens afterwards. Uh, we would be remiss, Josh, before we leave if we didn't mention a few movies, uh, notably The Seven Samurai, 1956. Or, right. Or The 37 Classic. Ronin. 47. They added, 47 Ronin. The sequel, they added 10. Yeah. And uh, The Magnificent Seven, the awesome Western with... Uh, Yul Brenner was based on The Seven Samurai, but a Western version. There's also Ghost Dog, which I've been meaning to see, but have well, not. Well, you haven't seen that? No. Oh, well, I was about to say, that's my favorite all-time, maybe favorite Jim Jarmusch movie. Definitely top two. More than Dead Man, huh? It, I think it's probably in a dead heat with Dead Man. Nice. It's awesome. you got to see Ghost Dog. That's where Forrest Whitaker is like mm-hmm. sort of a modern-day samurai living in New York, in Brooklyn, yeah. I think, even. Does any raids pigeons? Yeah, he's very peaceful. He's this the, he, it's full of the bushido, like it's broken up with him reading passages from uh, the Samurai Code. Right, pretty cool. Nice. Okay, well that's about it. If you want to see some pretty cool images of samurai armor, 
uh, and learn more about the samurai, including what a ronin is and what happened to the 47 ronin. Uh-huh. You just want to type in samurai to the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. So now, uh, I guess then it's time for listener mail. Yes, Josh, I'm going to call this the cutest kid in New Zealand. Hey, dudes, Chuck and Josh, this email comes to you from Felix from Wellington, New Zealand. Oh, yeah. He's a cool kid. Yeah. I'm nine years old, and I've listened to pretty much all your podcasts. Dad usually plays them in the car on long drives. The recent one on taxidermy I thought was seriously gross. I wish I could do a Kiwi accent. I'm not even going to try it, though. No, I wouldn't if I were you. I had a thought that you guys might want to do an episode on really long place names around the world and how that came about. And what do they mean? We have one in New Zealand called, and I won't even bother to say it because it's it looks like the alphabet, or it's just been written down in random order. I dare you to try and say it in your podcast, but Felix, I will not. But I did attach an MP3 of me saying it to impress you with my skills. That's Felix speaking, not you. Yes. Okay. You guys are cool and funny, and by the way, it translates roughly as the summit where Tamatia... The man with the big knees, the climber of mountains, the land swallower who traveled about, played his nose flute to his loved one. <laughs> That's what this name translates to. That's crazy. So we got permission from Felix's dad since he's a little kid, and he said, go ahead and play it. So without further ado, here is Felix from New Zealand. Hi, this is Felix here. Listen to this. I that is awesome. I, I'm glad we finally got around to playing that clip. Yeah, that kid is cool. Very cute little yes. uh, kid there. Well, um, I don't think we should make a call for audio files, do you? No, no. Uh, I think that one belongs to Felix. Pretty much, he uh, is his numbers being retired in the Stuff You Should Know Hall of Fame. If you want to come up with something cool and interesting and clever and have your number retired, you should put it in an email. Send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?